0: Great to see you. So glad you're here. Kind of a rambunctious crowd tonight, it appears. We're so glad you're here. We're going to have a lot of fun. As you know, we switch from Sunday night Genesis to Wednesday night Genesis. So uh, if you want to, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis 38. Genesis 38. We're continuing our study of the book of beginnings. And, of course, in the book of Genesis, we see creation and sin and salvation and the fall and Jews. And as we continue at this time, we're focusing on the life of Joseph. He's one of the key men, of course, in the book. There's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. He is sold into slavery to, to, uh, into Egypt by his brothers. And we need to realize that we're seeing the sovereign plan of God. and and the way that God is going to protect and preserve the nation of Israel. We'll see it as we get into that. As we move to chapter 38, there's really a break in the story, because in chapter 38, and I've got it right here, deals with Judah and his family. You remember that uh, Jacob had 12 sons. One of the sons was Judah. This chapter, right in the middle of dealing with Joseph, suddenly you go to Judah, And and we'll see exactly why it's there. In fact, we'll see issues with Judah and his children and the offspring and all of those kind of things. So realize that as we look at this chapter tonight that Joseph's in Egypt, but Judah, we're going to see events in this passage that actually preserve the lineage of Judah, the tribe from which the Messiah is to come. We'll see how that fits together. We're also going to see why did God take the Jewish people out of the land of Canaan and put them into Egypt? We see that as we look at this chapter and we'll see how things tie together. Tonight I call it – in fact, we already got the first verses on a Sunday night, but if you weren't there, I'll give a quick review of what happens. But tonight we see a guy named Judah and Tamar and the sons and the sin. We'll put it together. Let's, let's start with a prayer and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night and thanks for this time that we could come together. Thanks for Wednesdays. We love Wednesday nights, Lord. We thank you for the great meal that we have and the fun of eating and just being with friends and everything. And then, Lord, that we get to come together to study the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that it, that as we look at the book of Genesis, you have so much in there for us. And as we've gone verse by verse, passage by passage all this time and, and now switching to Wednesday night, Lord, I just pray that it'll continue to be a lot of fun as we study it. we see truths and principles that we can apply in our lives right now. Lord, we know that your word, especially the Old Testament, was written for our instruction so that we might learn from it and grow. Lord, our, our goal is that we would know the word, that we would apply the word, and we would pass on the word to others. So, Lord, we just ask you that you would, uh, you would teach us now. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we uh, when you talk about the Old Testament, there's a there's a there's a, a truth or a principle that was taught under the Mosaic law called the Leverett law of marriage. And we've talked about that before, but here's what I want you to do. Just hold your place in Genesis 38 and turn to Deuteronomy 25. Just just a few, you know, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Old Testament, and turn to chapter 25. And I just want you to see two verses, and then just hold your place because we're going to go right back to Genesis 38. But this is something that, that was under the law. Now, when we find out that the passage we're dealing with tonight is before the law, but we want to see a principle that was a, that was something that was under Mosaic law, but we'll see that the people were, were doing that, obviously. So look at uh, Deuteronomy 25, look at verse 5. When brothers live together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a strange man. Her husband's brother she'll go into her and take her to himself as wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her it shall be that the firstborn whom she bears shall assume the name of the dead brother so that his name will not be blotted out from israel now when it says bear the name it doesn't necessarily just mean his personal name but the name of the family unit so that it carries on in that sense what you find and you can go ahead and turn back to genesis 38 that that as as we look at this that later became uh, this was called the levirate law of marriage and what happens basically is a brother is married and he's got another brother who's a younger brother who's not married. This brother's, this brother dies with, without having any children and it's the next oldest brother's responsibility to go marry the wife and then have children. And carry on in that way And as we look at these events These events in this chapter of 38 Of Genesis the, the, they're not They're not under Mosaic law They haven't gone down to Egypt, hadn't come out by Moses Hadn't got the Mosaic law But we see that this was something already practiced By the Jewish people And we'll see that as we go through the passage And there's a lot there In this passage uh, we meet a person named Tamar She's a woman, we'll see what she does And we also see Judah Who's one of the twelve sons One of the twelve tribes In fact when you think of the tribe of Judah, you realize that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, came from the tribe of Judah. That's one of the promises, and we'll see it. There's a lot in this passage. Let me remind you of where we are. There are four key men in the book of Genesis, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. In this study, we have moved now to the life of Joseph. He was loved and favored by his father, but he was hated and rejected by his brothers. In their opposition to him, and they, they didn't like him because uh, he had already told them that they were all going to bow down to him, and, and, and that's exactly what happened. Eventually, of course, because he gets taken down to Egypt and they do come bow down to him but in their opposition to him they actually sold him into slavery his dad sent him up there to to see how his brothers were doing they took him they threw him in a well and then as a a group of Ishmaelites were coming through they sold him and they take him down to Egypt and he's you know we're going to see that he gets sold into slavery to a man by the name of Potiphar we'll see that in the next chapter Uh, they came back of course the brothers came back and told daddy Jacob that obviously something happened to Joseph they had his coat and they had blood all over it which They'd killed an animal and put the blood on it, and of course Jacob thinks his son is dead, and he's all upset about it. So Joseph is now in Egypt, and and you'd say, wonder what happened there. Well, we realize that God is going to use Joseph to actually preserve the nation to save them because a famine is coming, and they're going to move down to Egypt. But as we move to chapter 38, we're going to see something else, and that's we're going to see the reason why God removed his people from the land of Canaan it wasn't just because there was a famine what we're going to realize that if the nation of israel had stayed in the land of canaan surrounded by all of those pagans so to speak We're going to see what is happening to Judah in this passage would have happened to all of them. And there may not have been Jewish people because they would have intermarried and and moved away and got so many problems. And we'll see that's what God is doing is actually protecting his own nation by moving them down to Egypt. The focus in this chapter, and we've we've seen a little bit of it already, is is Judah and Tamar, his daughter-in-law, and the offspring. Who is Judah? He was the fourth son of Jacob. And and the 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 truth is the Messiah comes through Judah. So Judah's gotta have some offspring. Judah's gotta have some children or grandchildren to carry on his name, so to speak, so that the Messiah is gonna come through the tribe of Judah. But there's a problem, and let me show you what happens. First of all, Judah leaves the Jews. He leaves and goes and is living with the Canaanites. Now, this is a problem because Jewish people were to stay together. They weren't to live with the pagans. And what Judah is doing is moved away from his own people and living with the pagans. He marries a Canaanite woman. So he's, he violated everything he's supposed to do. And if all of the Jewish people did that, there wouldn't be any nation of Israel. So this is why God says, listen, if y'all going to live among these people, you're not going to make it. I'm going to move you away from these people, take you down in Egypt, put you in your own little group, and let you grow up to be a people. He also has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. We'll talk about those guys in just a minute. What's the problem here? Well, I want you to look at chapter 38, look at verse 6. Now, Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn. So he, he has a son who's old enough to get married, and he gets a, a a wife, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, now we talked about this on Sunday night just a couple of weeks ago, but Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil. In the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Now that's you know, that's a statement that might scare all of us. We'd say, well, What did he do? It doesn't even tell us what he did. All it tells us is he was so evil that God took his life. We would say, I'd like to know what he did so that we wouldn't be doing that, you know, and so anyway he was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. So then Judah said to Onan, remember, go into your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. That later is going to be called the Leveret Law of Marriage. They're already practicing that even before the Mosaic Law put that down. This is what they were doing. But notice what Onan did. Onan knew that his offspring would not be his. So he, when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order not to give offspring to his brother. So he made sure she wouldn't get pregnant. He made sure she wouldn't have any children. Verse 10. But what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so he took his life also. Now Judah has not had very good luck with his sons. One of them was so evil that God took his life. The other one up doing continually wrong, and God took his life. You'd also want to say that Tamar has not had the best of luck with husbands, right? And so we go, cool. This is this is terrible. So here's what happens. If you notice. Look at verse 11, because what's the plan? You have, you have three sons, right? The oldest one married her and he died. So the next one's supposed to marry her, but what happened? He died. So what's supposed to happen? The youngest. Now at this point, Sheila obviously is not quite old enough to get married. So here's what he does in verse 11. He says, Then Judas said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, remain a widow in your father's house until my son Sheila grows up. He says, let's wait till Sheila gets a little older before you get to marry him. For he thought, boy, I'm afraid he might die like his brothers. You know what he was thinking? There may be something wrong with Tamar. But the truth is there's not anything wrong with Tamar. Who's it wrong with? His sons. His sons. Now watch. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. And so we we, this is sort of, you know, kind of where we are and it it, uh we go, man, this is this is kind of a terrible situation. And he's supposed to give he's supposed to give Sheila because let me ask you something. What if Sheila never marries Tamar? Where are the offsprings of Judah? Huh? They ends. Where's the Messiah gonna come? The Messiah's got to come through Judah, that's promise. So if Judah doesn't have any offspring, how do we have the Messiah? I mean, do we realize what's actually happening here? So here's Judah sitting back going, third son, I don't I don't think so. He doesn't realize what he's doing, so to speak. So when we see this, we see the failure of Judah. We see he's moved from the Jews, he married Canaanite woman, and he's refused, in a sense, to follow the at law, because what's gonna happen is you know, the son she- Sheila's gonna grow up, and when he gets old enough, guess what? He's not gonna He's not going to marry her. And she knows it. She keeps saying, When am I going to get to marry the boy, which is now grown up? And you can almost hear Judah saying, When the right time comes. When the right time comes. She realizes the right time's not going to come. Well, time does go by, and Judah's wife dies, which was not a Jewish woman. It was a what? Canaanite woman. She dies. He has a time of mourning, and then he's going to go back to his, what you might say, his normal life. Look at verse 12. Now, after considerable time, she was daughter, the wife of Judah, died, and when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to a sheep shearers at Timnah, and his friend Hira, the Abdomite. So, he gets back with his friends, he's gotten, he's over his mourning for his wife, and he says, you know, I just kinda need to get back. Into life again, and and I've got a friend named Hira, and sheep shearing is normally a party time. When at the end of the time when they shear the sheep, they they would do, do work all day long, and at the end of the day, and they'd done all this work, they had a party, and they all rested, and they stayed out in the field, and it was just a, supposed to be a good time. Now look at verse thirteen. It was told Tamar, behold, your father-in-law was going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. Okay, so what does she know? She knows he's leaving. His his place where he is, and he's going to some other place, and he's going for a party. What does she do? Verse 14. So she removed her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself and sat in the gateway of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw, she saw that Shelah had grown up, and she had not been given to him as a wife. She said, I've waited long enough, he By this time, I'm already supposed to be married to Sheila. I'm supposed to be having my kids because that's what the woman wants. She wants her offspring. Where are my babies? And bottom line is, where is the genealogy? Where are the descendants of Judah to bring the Messiah into the world? So she says, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Now, at this stage, we don't know exactly what their plan is. It won't be long. We find out. So she's decided. She's set at the gateway of Enam, and and she knows he's going to be passing by that way. So look at verse 15. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a what? A harlot, for she had covered her face. Now, he thinks she's a prostitute, but he thinks she's what they call a, a you know, a, a sort of a temple prostitute or something like that and 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 that was the idea that that these were women that were connected in some kind of religious thing some kind of thing that they would they would have sex you know and 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 they people tried to justify it by saying well you know this is a temple prostitute this had something to do with with religion or worship and you know the corinthians had that all tied into the the, the, you know uh, the parthenon i mean we know what the parthenon was right I mean, you know what, well, you've heard it, but the Parthenon comes from the Greek word Parthenos, which means virgin. The Parthenon was where the virgins were, but they weren't really virgins. They were temple virgins that men went up there and had sex with them. That's what the Parthenon was. That was all part of the Corinthian system, the fallen pagan things. And so here's this woman, and she's sitting there, when Judah saw her, he thought she's a harlot, for she had covered her face. So look what he says. So he turned aside to her by the road and said, here now, let me come into you. He did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, what will you give me that you may come into me? Basically comes and says, I want to have sex with you. And she says, uh, what will you pay me to have sex? These are great stories, aren't they? These are really uplifting I mean, look at the character, that Judah, he's, he's the, he's the man in which the Messiah, the tribe of Israel in which the Messiah is coming through him, and here he is walking down a road seeing a prostitute and saying, hey, how much? How much? We'd say, You know, your wife died. First of all, you have moved away from the Jews. You violated Scripture there. You married a Canaanite woman. You violated Scripture there. Your sons were so evil that they died. And the other son that you were supposed to give, you violated Scripture there. Now you're walking by, and what are you doing now? You're violating Scripture. Now somebody would say, well, what is Tamar doing? What is she doing? You think she's violating Scripture too? Of course she is. What is her mind? Her mind saying, I'm going to have a baby one way or the other. If it's not going to be the sons, it's going to be the what? It's going to be the daddy, one way or the other. So he says, how much? You know, he says, how about, how about, and she says, well, what will you pay me? And he said, therefore, it's verse 17, I will send you a young goat from the flock she said, moreover, will you give a pledge until you send it? Now she's smart. She's got, listen, she's got a plan here. She, she, you know, I think she figured he would stop by that way. Do you think maybe this might be a part of his character? I mean, she just think happened that looking like a prostitute, he's going to stop. She says, oh, I think he'll stop. Right? And so he said, she says, what will you, what will you give me? He said, well, I'll give you a goat. I'll give you a young goat. She says, well, truth is, what if he said I'll give you a goat? Then he leaves and we never see him again. So she misses out on the goat. Right. So she says, will you give a pledge until you send it? A pledge down payment. Give me something to hold. Give me something of yours to keep until I get the goat. When I get the goat, I'll give you this stuff back. That's sort of the pledge. And so he said, "What pledge shall I give you?" And she said, "Your seal, your cord, and your staff that's in your hand." So he gave them to her, went into her, and she conceived by him. Now notice the, 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 what we see here is the pledge was the seal, the cord, and the staff. The seal was the seal. Sometimes it was a ring. Sometimes it was something they just kept with them. It was like their mark. It was like their symbol of who they were. And the ring, and then the cylinder was, the, and then there was a staff. A uh, cord was uh, like a uh, almost like a belt. Sometimes they wore them around their necks. And of course, the staff was his rod that he walked with. And she says, I'll take all three. And he goes, well, okay, here. Now, to me, that sounds stupid, right? I mean, he, you know, he's not thinking very well, is he? Okay. But anyway, she, she's thinking, I want to pledge. So he gave them to her, and he went into her, and guess what? She what? Conceived. That sure is a lucky break for her, isn't it? Do you think she knew that? Do you think she knew she could get pregnant? She think. Do you think she worked this thing out? She says this is my chance. Verse 19. Then she arose and departed, removed her veil, and put back her widow's garments on. How long has she worn widow's garments? She could have been wearing them for ten years. We, he was a young boy. Let's say he's eight or nine and, and probably not get married till he was 16, 14, 15, 16. So she may have been wearing these widow garments six, seven, eight years. So what happens? Think about this. We, we see Judah's sexual sin, and he's not following the law. We see Tamar's sexual sin, and she's doing this to get a child. We've seen what happened to Ur and Onan, sin and death. Well, look what happens. Verse 20. When Judas, sent, then when Judas sent the young goat by his friend, the Abdomite to receive the pledge from the woman's hand, he did not find her. So he sent his friend and said, would you mind going and taking that goat to that prostitute up there? Because I promised her the goat. And so would you take it up there and then, you know, get my stuff and come back? So it says that he went, but he couldn't find her. Now, think about this. It is so easy. It's so, look at his pies. He, he's, I've got to keep my word. I've got to be a man of character. I've got to keep my word. What did I promise her? A goat, so I'm sure going to keep my word. He said, oh, yeah, you're keeping your word. You're going to keep your word and send a pledge, but you ignore all your what? All the other stuff that he does. Isn't it easy? Sometimes... To overlook what we do remember jesus said take the log out of your eye before you take the splinter out of somebody else's It's easy to fool ourselves thinking that we're doing We're sort of doing right when we're really doing wrong. I got to tell you a story I read this in a magazine It's supposed to be a true story that this man and woman went to a drive through to get some food It was a lunchtime and so they they got through the drive through and ordered something and They got the sack and then they drove off and they went to a park and they were sitting there and they opened the sack up And it was full of money and what they realized is, obviously, at the at the at the little store at the drive-through, they put the receipts in a sack. They were probably and accidentally gave them out the window. So they look at each other and they drive back and and you know probably by this time the people at the store at the you know realize we've lost our money. Well he comes in the door and he said listen I I, I just want you to know that when I went through the drive through and uh, here is this is this is your money and they went oh my gracious you are what a man of character you are a, oh this is we're gonna we're calling we're calling the newspaper we want we want people to know this and he said no 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 I don't I want anybody to know why I was here why. Because the woman he's with is not his wife. He's a real man of character, isn't he? <laughs> he's enough character to take back the money, but he's having an affair. I mean, you see what I'm saying? It's so easy for people to do something wrong and then think they're okay because they're doing other things right. And you could see Judah saying, well, I, I'm not doing anything wrong. I, I don't want, I don't want my, my third son to die because there's something obviously wrong with that woman. And, and he said, so what's wrong with a prostitute. We'd say, "What's wrong?" I mean, think about it. So anyway, it's so easy for that to happen. Well, look what happened. Verse twenty-one, verse twenty. Judas sent the young goat by this friend the Abdomite to receive the pledge from the woman, but he didn't find her. He asked the men of the place, says, "Where's the temple prostitute who was by the road <coughs> at Ename?" They said, "Well, there ain't been any temple prostitute there. Here, we haven't seen any. I mean, because see, if there really was a temple prostitute there." She'd be there all the time, and and they would always say something. Yeah, there's there's one over there. She stays over there most of the time. But since Tamar just went that one time, and he, they all said we we don't know of any temple prostitute that hadn't been anyone around here. And of course, he's thinking that doesn't add up. That doesn't add up. That's strange. So he returned to Judah and said, I did not find her. And furthermore, the men of the the, the place said, There's been no temple prostitute here. I mean. I went back there, and, and uh they said they didn't know anything about it. In fact, they hadn't even been any woman here. Then Judah said, let her keep them. Otherwise, we'll become a laughing stock. After all, I sent the young goat, but you did not find her. After all, I kept my word. I did the right thing. Oh, yeah, you did the right thing. We'll be a laughing stock, because we don't want people to know I got tricked by... A prostitute. Now, if you were him, what would you be thinking? I've lost my what? My ring, my little rope that I wear, and I've lost my stick. For a man, the the walking stick, the, the staff was a big deal. And the ring was a big deal because that was who he is. He's giving away this stuff to some woman he didn't even know, and now he can't find her. Well, he's thinking, we well, just to get this whole thing. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that surely also what? Reap. It's not going to get away. Verse 24. Now, it came about three months later that Judah was informed, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has played the harlot, and behold, she is also with child by holotry. Three months later, she's beginning to what? She's beginning to show a little bit. People say, wait a minute. You're pregnant. So the word goes back to Judah. Guess what? Your daughter-in-law is pregnant. Obviously, she said sex. Judah said, I'll tell you what, let's do. Bring her out and we will burn her up. We'll set her on fire and watch her burn. What an evil girl she is. Deuteronomy 22 says that in, in sexual sins that were wrong, sometimes people were stoned. And in Leviticus chapter 20, if there was unusual wickedness, a person might be burned. So what he is saying is, I think she is such a bad woman. And he probably says to himself, if we can get rid of her, I don't have to worry about Sheila dying. Right, because two of my sons have been with her and they've died. I didn't want the third one to ever be with her and die. This is the perfect opportunity to get rid of her. Once again, this is such an uplifting story. All right, bring her out and have her burned. Isn't it easy to see other people's sins and not our own? We 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 look at others and we say, "Could you believe they did that?" and we overlook what we do. It is so easy. To see the sins, the sin of others, and not our own. He's willing to burn her up because she had sexual sin. What about his sexual sin? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Oh, mine doesn't count. We've known people. You remember the, about 20 years ago, 18 years ago, there was an evangelist who got in trouble and became known televangelist came known, it came out all over the things on nightline, and they were all talking about this this televangelist and his sexual sins. And another televangelist went on nightline. I watched him speak and this other televangelist said, This man is a cancer in the body of Christ. The man who said this man is a cancer in the body of Christ was doing exactly the same sexual sins at the same time this guy was. It's easy to look around and say, you've done wrong. And the truth is, you've done just as wrong. Can any of us in this room turn around and say, you have all done wrong without going, yes, that's true. There are times in the body of Christ when there is sin that it does need to be dealt with. But none of us can look around and say, I'm okay and nobody else is. It's so easy to rationalize what we do. He says, I follow the true God. She's a pagan. I only had sex with a prostitute. Let's kill her. Verse 25, it was while she was being brought out that she sent to her father-in-law, saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. Can you imagine somebody sends word as they're bringing her out? Oh, tell him that the, the father of this child, this is his stuff. And he goes, oh, my gosh, that's my stuff. That's my stuff. Oops. Right? Oops. That's the one word you don't want to hear the doctor say in surgery. Oops. Oh, you go, what? What did he say? He said, oops. Yeah. What did he say? He said, oh, my gosh, Judah recognized them. And he said, oh, may she is more righteous than I. Why? Watch what he says. Inasmuch as I did not give her my son, Sheila. Oh, is that right? Is that why she's more righteous? He doesn't even mention what? He doesn't mention his sin. He says, oh, yeah, I've done wrong. I should have given my son, Sheila, to her. Whoa, wait a minute. Who's she having a baby with? Judah recognized them and said, she's more righteous than I, as much as I did not give her to my son, Sheila. And he did not have relations with her again. Well, thank you. Thank you. Now, in this whole thing, what is her plan? What's your plan? To have a baby. Is God going to take evil and wrong and bring the Messiah through it? Because listen, what, what if there were no offspring from Judah? Instead of having the offspring of Judah from either Ur or Onan or Shelah, the offspring of Judah comes from Judah himself. Wow. This gives us a good picture of ourselves, how low we can sink. Sinful man cannot do anything of himself that would please God. Our righteousness is filthy rags. I love this. We are helpless, but we're not hopeless. We're helpless to save ourselves, but we're not hopeless. We have the hope of eternal life, which is through a relationship with God, by faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of us in this room are helpless to save ourselves, but we're not hopeless because we have a Savior, Jesus Christ. And it comes simply by faith. Well, this little section ends with uh seeing how the Messiah is going to come because it's not going to be from Ur. He's dead. It's not going to be from Onan. He's dead. It's not going to be from Shelah because he's not given. It's going to come through Judah and Tamar. Verse 27. It came about at that time she was giving birth. Then behold, there were twins. Twins. Wow, I love twins. <laughs> I've always loved them. Okay. Anyway, it came about at that time giving birth. Behold, there were, there were twins in her womb. Moreover, it took place that while she was giving birth, watch this, one put out a hand. And the midwife took and tied a scarlet thread on the hand saying, this one came out first. She said, I think he's fixing to come out first, so let me tie the little string around him. So we'll make sure when he comes out first, we'll get his name and everything. But look what happened. As he came out, he drew his hand back. And behold, the other brother, uh, the brother came out. She said, what a breach you've made for yourself, meaning you, you, you busted out. So they named him Perez. You know what Perez means? It means breaking out. That's what they named him. They named him Perez. And then when the other brother came out, notice, uh, so they named him Perez, which means breaking out or a breach. Or, and afterwards, his brother came out who had the scarlet thread on his hand, and his name was Zerah, which means brightness. Now, which of these two boys is the Messiah going to come, do you know? Huh? You said breaking out and you said brightness? It's going to be breaking out. Yeah. Messiah breaks out. I want you to notice. Turn, hold your place right there and turn to Matthew chapter 1 just for a second. Matthew chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Oftentimes when people read uh, some of the books of the Bible, they have a list of genealogies. And what most people do when you get to the genealogy is What? Just skip over it because it's just a bunch of names, and who cares about a bunch of names, right? That's what we think until our name might be in the list. If your name's in the list, you said somebody read this because my name's in the list, right? Notice verse 1, the record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. By the way, he starts it, the genealogy of Christ, and he says, son of David, son of Abraham. That's not really the start of the thing. Why do you think he said, son of David, son of Abraham? If you're going to be king of the Jews, you got to be a descendant through Abraham, the first Jew, and David, the king. Abraham was the father of Isaac, I the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of who? Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron, Ram, Ram, and Aminadab, Aminadab, Nashon, Nashon, Salmon, Salmon, Boaz, who's Boaz? Whoa, Boaz, and then Obed, and then Ruth, of course, by Ruth, and then Jesse, and Jesse was the father of who? David, and the Messiah comes through David. There it is. Look, so it's it's from Perez, in which we get it. And sometimes you could now read Matthew chapter one, and when you see the name Perez, you say, "I know who that guy was. He's one of the twin boys who came from Judah." Wow. No, different different Judah. Yeah. Well, we see. We see what would have happened to the nation of Israel if they'd stayed in Canaan. They're going to be like who? They're going to be like Judah. They're going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So what is God going to have to do? He's going to say, come on out. I'm going to get you out of there. Put you off by yourselves. Let you grow and then deliver you out and make you a nation. That's what he does. The way he saves his people is to remove them from Canaan. Put them in Egypt, and the way he saves them in Egypt is he has Joseph down there because his brothers meant it for evil, but God meant it for. Good. It's very powerful. What great truth. What have we seen? Judah moves away, marries a Canaanite woman, has three sons, Ur, Onan, and Shelah. The sons die. Judah doesn't give basically the third son to Tamar. Tamar looks, poses as a harlot. Judah has sexual relations with her. She gets pregnant. She sends the word that, uh, of the seal and the cord and the staff, and he realizes that he's caught. The babies, that are ch- the child that are born, uh, of course, uh, the two boys, but through Perez, the one breaking out, The Messiah will come. Great, great stuff. Let me give you some applications. First one is this: understand the only, understand the true nature of man and our only hope. What's our true nature? Our our nature's fallen. We're sinful. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each one our own way. That's who we are. You look at the life of Judah. He's a self-righteous man, is he not? He disobeyed the word of God by moving away from his people, by marrying a Canaanite, by having sexual relations with a prostitute. And he still said, let's kill that woman because she's been evil. Think of Ur and Onan. Both of them died, died, took their lives. You think of Tamar. Is she a good person in this passage? No. Is there any good person in this passage? I don't think so. As Lewis Johnson said from this passage, we see the nature of the depravity of man and the depths of sin to which man may fall. So we see how bad we are, but there is no hope in ourselves. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ is the hope of eternal life. By grace we are saved through faith and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. By faith in Jesus Christ we have eternal life. So when we look at this passage, we understand the true nature. I'm sorry, go back. I didn't mean to go fast. Understand the true nature of man and our only hope. We're fallen and our only hope is Jesus Christ. Second application is this. Just remember, God is working in all the events of our lives. God's working to preserve Israel by putting Joseph down in Egypt and then eventually moving the nation out of, of, of Canaan. God's working. Even in... Illicit sexual relationship, God brings the children, the offspring through which the Messiah is going to come. And just we look at that and go, can he take any event? Let me put it this way. Does he take every event and work it according to his plan? He does. He does. God is sovereign. I think we got a slide on that. It we don't. Oh, uh, God is sovereign. We want to rest in him. God's working and in this whole passage. He's working all those things. Um, I think uh, Romans 8, God works all things together for good. It's really powerful stuff. The third one, it's easy to overlook our sin and judge others. It's so easy. I mean, here's a person, and they're standing by another person, and they're saying, look at that person. Look at those clothes. That person is, you know, that, per- you know, that person is not And they're just gossiping up a storm, and and then they say something, and they go, can you believe they did that? And they hadn't realized that all that whole time they have been gossiping and, and maligning and slandering somebody else. It's so easy to, to overlook what we do and see what everybody else does. Listen to this. I just want to read it to you. It's Romans chapter 2, verse 1. It says, he's writing to, to the Romans. He says, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment... For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge do the same thing. It's so easy to look at another person and say, can you believe what they do? And you should be saying, can you believe what I do? Deal with our sin before we look to others. That's why Jesus said, and it was actually funny. I mean, it was, it was funny because he was talking about that and he talked about the person's got this little, little bitty sliver of something in their eye and, and the person says, you need to get that little sliver out, but they got a pole. The, the word, the way he used it, it was like a tree sticking out of some, your eye. He said, deal with the tree that's coming out of your eye before you go get the little bitty splinter that's in somebody else's eye. And when Jesus told that, you know people kind of went, a tree sticking out of a person's eye because they thought it was funny because it was huge he's saying you got a huge problem that you're overlooking and you want to go get somebody and say can you believe you've done that you need to get that little bitty sliver out of your eye and the other person said well don't hit me with your tree when you're trying to get it out you know may we rest in God's sovereign plan Dealing with sin in our lives, knowing that God's working all things for his glory. Now, I'm going to pray, and if you've got questions, comments, input, we'll do that for just a few minutes before we break. Heavenly Father, what a what a great passage in the sense that it teaches us so much. Lord, we know that it's it's sad when we see all this, but what it really just shows us is what we're all like in and, and that sense. And Lord, thank you that as we, underst- we understand our nature, but we understand our hope, and that we know that in ourselves there's not one thing we could ever do to earn salvation or to gain it because we've all fallen, we're all like Shiva, gone astray. Each one our own way. There's none righteous. No, not one. There's not one that seeks after God. And yet, Lord, you have provided a way by sending Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And we, some come simply by faith. So thank you, Lord. And, Lord, we recognize that in anything that's going on, even all these events that are so bad, they're all working out your plan in which you're going to deliver your people. You're going to provide a Savior and not only deliver your people, but going to deliver all of us and deliver the whole world, in a sense, through the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So thank you, Lord, for that. Lord, I just ask you that we would, uh, we would look at our lives and we would deal with the sin in our lives before we even seek to help someone else deal with sin in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.